Good morning, everyone. My name is Andy. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9 through 11. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he, lit, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Glory. New Testament reading is found in Romans 3:21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Mark. Please stand for the gospel reading. Found in Matthew six twenty-five to 34 NIV. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, hello, everyone. As Evan said, thanks for the introduction. My name is Matthew Ayers, and uh, it's an exciting week for me. This is my fifth anniversary this week of being on staff with New Life. So it's been an exciting journey for these five years. <laughs> really, really have enjoyed it. Um, I can't imagine a better family to be a part of. And uh, so I got to start off this journey with Rion Haynes getting the Global Missions Department started. We did that for a couple years. And then local ministries for a year. And now, Bobby, would you stand up and just raise your hand? This is Bobby Nicholas. So if any of you has any interest in local mission, in living missionally, in taking care of our city, 
Bobby has a fantastic heart and will help bring perspective of God's heart of righteousness to love this city well. And so he's got a lot of great ideas and a lot of ways that we can help plug in together to really be a blessing to this city. So talk to Bobby if you haven't yet. Get to know him and meet him. And uh, you know his wife, Brooke, already as she's the main administrator for New Life Downtown. So today, let's just open in a word of prayer as we think about two things today, worry and the kingdom of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to dig into your word. God, we thank you for your amazing word that has power to transform us. God, your word that cuts and to divide the things that are in our spirit, the things that are in our soul. And so, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to do your work, to have your way today with us, to open our eyes and ears so that we could hear what you're speaking to us and lead us in to this place of freedom in your kingdom, free from worry, in Jesus' name. Now, a couple quick announcements I want to add. Uh, This is also a special week because today we're opening our second Joel home. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Dream Centers of Colorado Springs, it's an independent 501c3. It's a nonprofit that we opened two years ago. And so New Life has been the main force behind this, but it's totally independent uh, as a nonprofit in town. So it's, it's a community development nonprofit that a lot of churches are already involved in. And we started off with a free women's clinic for women who are uninsured or underinsured for women 18 to 64. And now, two years later, we've seen over 2,000 women that we've been able to care for. And it's absolutely incredible the miracles that I see down there every week. Well, the second mission we got into is called the Joel Home. And it's a partnership with Children's Hope Chest, another nonprofit in town that's incredibly respected, one of the best at doing orphan care initiatives overseas. But this is their first domestic initiative. And we've partnered with them to open these Joel Homes. So this is going to be our second one today. You can come from 1 to 4 p.m., It's at 311 Elmwood Drive, right by UCCS. So 1 to 5, anytime this afternoon, you can show up, 311 Elmwood Drive. And we'll get to introduce you to some of the guys we're taking care of. These are guys anywhere from 18 to 22 who are recently aged out of foster care and just need a safe place to transition, need a safe place to get some traction in their lives. And this is the second home we get to open. Now, the third thing that we're up to with Dream Centers is called Mary's Home. And this is going to be transformational and transitional housing for women who were formerly homeless and at very much risk in our city. So these women with their kids will be able to live in this apartment building for a year or longer, and we'll get to see what God does to transform their lives. It's uh, 17 units. We'll have three staff families in three of those apartments, so we'll have 14 units to take care of other single mom families. And it's absolutely incredible. So one way we thought... Uh, similar to Evan and Glenn and, and your staff's idea to have this kingdom and culture Bible study, is that we didn't want to just share a simple vision for Mary's home or for Dream Centers when we have our first public event. So at the end of this month, on Friday, August 30th, we're going to host an event called City We Love because we realize and recognize that God's Spirit is moving in and through all people in this city, whether they're believers yet or not because we're all created in the image and identity of God. So we want to recognize what God's Spirit is doing here, that He is inviting us to participate in this movement of loving and pastoring our city. If we don't, if the followers of Jesus don't, who will? And so this is an awesome opportunity we have, and we're calling this event City We Love, because we're going to feature a lot of different elements of culture that show how much we love the city. So a lot of the photography... The art displays, the silent auction, these will be featuring artists who love our city 
and are featuring art exhibits that really describe or paint a picture or have a sculpture that shows something that they love about our city. Now, one of the main things about this event is going to be a documentary, a 39-minute short film that won the Oscar for Best Short this last year, and it's called Innocente. So Innocente herself, who the film is about, will be joining us, and she'll be here for Q&A afterwards. And the whole purpose of this is to enter in to the discussion of homelessness in our city and to demystify it, to learn what are those things that we've maybe thought about homelessness but are wrong, and then discover some things that are really help us to understand and step into the shoes of another person, to dignify them and to dignify ourselves in the process because we'll be more united together in loving our city. So we'll be, join us. We're at the, a table in the back here out in the foyer after the service. Bobby, Brooke, Rena, myself, we'll have a bunch of people back there to answer your questions. There's a place for you. If you can't make it Friday, August 30th, f- feel free to buy a ticket for somebody else who might not be able to afford it. That would be a wonderful way to bless somebody. Or you can volunteer. But there's going to be lots of ways to get involved with this event. All right. So today, we're talking about these two big concepts in this passage of Scripture. The kingdom of God and worry. Now, I think, and I don't think it's a stretch at all, that this concept, that this topic of the kingdom of God is absolutely the most important part of Scripture. It's the most important topic we could talk about at all. And why? Because it's the thing that Jesus talked about after his resurrection, before his ascension, every single day for 40 days straight. This is the one thing that Jesus wanted to leave us with before his ascension. The one thing. And it's the kingdom of God. So what is this? We've heard about it. We've heard about this phrase over and over and over. We read a lot about it throughout the New Testament. But what are its roots? What does it really mean? Because we hear these phrases sometimes, but we don't have the depth of meaning necessarily that we could have unless we really discover where did this come from. I mean, we've heard all these things. Some of us probably have the crazy uncle or the strange grandpa or the funny brother or whoever it is that has these sayings or these phrases that we kind of know what they're meaning in context, but we don't really know where they came from. We don't really know what they mean. Like, I gave him the whole nine yards today. What, what is that anyway? Do you know? Who knows what that means? I mean, I think some of us might in here, but I sure don't. Or, man, she is clean as a whistle. What is that? Or, man, these things are selling like hotcakes. I mean, I don't know, first of all, what hotcakes are, and are they really that popular now? I mean, do they sell that much? You could have said, like, Coca-Cola or Barbies or... Transformers are something, but I mean, I just have no idea what these things mean. And one of my favorites is a friend of mine, Mark Dennis. He's an Aggie, so that would explain a lot. He's from Texas. And uh, yeah, every time I call him up and just catch up with him, hey, Mark, how you doing? He says, living the dream, living the dream. And I'm convinced that he says this because he really believes that Texas is its own nation. And he's so confident and courageous because he's got his own nation, the nation of Texas, that he's this, some, I don't know where he gets that. But I really don't understand this. And often I've heard him, I, I think he stole this from his dad or grandpa, but he says, do you think I took you to raise? Do you think I took you to raise? Who, who's heard that before? A few of us in here. Yeah, not very many. I have no idea what that means. But he says it all the time. So, so what is this phrase kingdom of God really mean and where does it come from? 
Well, if we want to know, we've got to look at, back into these things called the Targums. And in Jesus' day, the language that was common was Aramaic. So the scriptures were all in Hebrew. And if you wanted to teach on the scriptures in the synagogue, you, had to have, you either had to know Hebrew and be able to also translate it yourself into the common language, or you had to have a translator. So Jesus, like all the other rabbis, would stand here in the synagogue next to a translator who would read a passage of the Hebrew scripture and then translate it into Aramaic, paraphrasing it, and then Jesus would teach on it. So after a while, these phrases became more and more and more common to the point where in the 4th century, finally we had an Aramaic translation of the Hebrew scripture and it was called the Targums. So in these translations, there's a particular book of the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, that had five mentions of the kingdom of God. And these are the first times that we actually hear about the kingdom of God. Now, if you translated the Hebrew literally, it wouldn't even say this. But in the Targums, in this book of Isaiah, it was translated as the kingdom of God or kingdom of Messiah or kingdom of our Lord. And so this is a really interesting thing to look into because we can discover maybe a little bit into the mind of Jesus what he was teaching on in the synagogues when he was talking about the kingdom of God. And hopefully it matches up with the rest of the New Testament where we hear kingdom of God. And it absolutely does. So, I like homework. I like giving homework even more. But I used to teach, and, I, and it's been a long time since I've been able to give a homework assignment out. So, I think since 2007. So, if you can, if you brought your journals or something to write on, maybe write down these five passages. So, these are the five times that kingdom of God is mentioned in the Isaiah Targum. Now, we don't have time to go into these in depth today, but these are very, very important passages. And all of these, if we summarize them, tell us a few things about the kingdom of God. One, it's about God being revealed. Two, it's about Jesus, the Jewish reverence and piety for the revelation of God. So in one sense, they didn't say specifically the Lord God is being revealed or the Lord God is reigning. But they said, the kingdom of your Lord God, or the kingdom of your Messiah, is reigning out of reverence for the revelation of God because it was so sacred. It talks about God's dynamic reign and rule, and it talks about God's saving action and deliverance. So if we actually dig into these passages, which you can do on your own time, you'll see these four things, but you'll also see these themes or marks of the kingdom of God throughout every one of these passages. Every one of God's passages that he spoke through his prophet Isaiah that talks about God's rule and reign, God's saving deliverance, God's presence, has these marks in it. Time after time after time. And the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah were the three most quoted books out of Jesus' mouth. So if we want to discover what he's talking about when he references the kingdom of God, we've got to look at these things. Salvation we know, righteousness, justice, these things were always held in parallel and in tandem in the Old Testament scriptures, always. And you could think of it simply as righteousness is doing righteous acts to restore justice, to restore justice to a community. Peace, joy, God's presence, healing, and his saving return of drawing you back from exile. Now, When we think of kingdom of God, do we think of these things? Or do we think of maybe somebody on their throne giving out orders, 
ruling, having a system or a structure of authority. I mean, a lot of things might come to mind. But when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about these things. This is something that I want to be a part of. I cannot imagine being invited in to a better journey than going on this journey with Jesus. A journey of salvation and healing and joy and righteousness and peace, shalom for our whole community. This is the dream and the vision that Jesus has as he looked out over Jerusalem and he cried and he wept for his city because he wanted to see this kingdom of restoration be brought to all people. It's beautiful. Like we mentioned earlier, this was Jesus' most important thing on his heart. Let's read this from Acts 1, 1 through 3. Dear Theophilus, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit, and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but have you ever taught on any topic a lot of us have? Have you taught for 40 days straight? I mean, it's like Jesus saying, okay, we're going to teach. Forget about your weekends for six weeks. Let's just take these six weeks straight. We'll plow through. I'll give you the last weekend off. And we're going to talk from, du- from dawn till dusk about the kingdom of God. You're going to come with me. We're going to sit down over meals. And we're going to tell people about what this kingdom really means. It's exactly what Jesus did before he ascended. Now, this keep seeking, as we read Matthew 6.33, it's a present tense in the Greek. All right, so seek the kingdom of God actually means that we are, continue, we are to continue to seek the kingdom, to never stop. And if it's something that we need to continue to seek, it's a constant demand on our lives. But I want us to think about this not simply as a demand, where we could easily fall into believing that we have to work hard for something ourselves. Because just as much as it's a demand on our life, it's an invitation and a gift to be received. All these beautiful things we saw about the salvation of this earth, of all of creation, of our souls, righteousness and peace and shalom entering our land, these are things that God invites us into. So this is the journey into the kingdom of God. Now, there's also another important topic in this passage, worry. Right? So, we have to cover this in a little bit of depth because this is the main thing that Jesus is saying is going to keep us from that salvation, righteousness and justice, wholeness and peace for our communities. And so, if we can figure out this thing called worry and we can figure out how to avoid it or purge it from our lives, then maybe we can make some room for the kingdom of God. And there's three main ways that worry is manifested in our lives. We can get distracted because of the worry. We can have fear, anxiety, or we can become so preoccupied with our own thoughts and ourselves that we crowd out room for the kingdom. All right? So distraction, fear and anxiety, and preoccupation with ourselves. And this reminds me of characters in the scriptures, one of them I'm probably a little bit more like Martha, but who remembers the passage from Mary and Martha on worry? I think a lot of us can relate to this. I can especially relate to Martha. 
but it's an interesting and powerful passage because I think all of us have a little bit of Mary and Martha in us. Right? Martha, the ultimate type A, get her done kind of woman. She's a hard driver. Everyone relies on her. She's the one you ask to do things first because you know it'll get done. And then there's Mary, the most peaceful connector. The one that if you had a Mary for a sister, you'd grab her when you were in trouble. Hey, come with me to talk to mom and dad because I know you can help me work this out. She just has this magical connection. Well, Luke 10 says, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now some of these marks of the kingdom of God are his peace and his presence. And I believe that some of the biggest enemies to our communion with God, our fellowship with him, are coming into oneness with him. I'm not talking about salvation here. Let me just back up and give you a little more context, all right? I'm talking to you as disciples, as followers of Jesus. So in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 at the Sermon on the Mount, he separated his disciples from the crowds. He pulled his closest followers near to him, and he began these three chapters, this this Sermon on the Mount. And it wasn't for the, the people who lacked passion. It wasn't for those who were just curious about this guy, Jesus. It wasn't for the half-hearted or the ones who just thought, man, this could be entertaining. He's done a lot of miracles and I just want to see what this is all about. That wasn't what was happening at all. All that we've been learning these past 11 weeks and today about the Sermon on the Mount are to his most devoted of followers. These are people who are already in the family. They were called sons and daughters. And so they experienced the unconditional love of God And now, they're beginning to experience the conditional call of the kingdom. And it was hard. It was hard for them. So let me just tell you, give you a few examples of how worry can manifest itself in our time. I know a girl, a woman who was recently engaged, and she just kept her friend out of the complete loop, her best friend. Really, over the past year, about a year ago, This friend had left her out of a conversation. She didn't mean to. It was just that she was having such a difficult time processing this. It was about all she could take to continue to tell one more friend after she had processed this with family and others. And so she realized soon after that she had made a mistake, and this is a big decision she could have invited her friend into. And so she asked for forgiveness, and she wrote letters, and she called, and she wrote emails, and she asked for forgiveness again for an entire year, while at the same time, her best friend ignored her and worried and stewed and became fearful and anxious. And it finally snowballed to the point where she was absolutely preoccupied with herself and her own problem that she decided, "Uh, this person, 
this person's just not important enough for me to share my most important decision in life, my own engagement. But it was all up here. It was all imaginary. These were all thoughts that were what-ifs and scenarios she had created on her own without fellowship while she stewed over these things. Another thing this week happened that was fascinating to me. As I was preparing for this message, I was sitting in Rico's coffee shop just a couple blocks from here. Who's been to Rico's before? So this is inside Poor Richard's, one of my favorite coffee shops. Uh, Richard Scorman, who ran for mayor a couple years ago, wonderful guy, owns this business. And I'm sitting there trying to prepare the message, and I can't help but eavesdrop. I don't know about you guys, but that just, you know, you're in a coffee shop, it happens sometimes. And this conversation was fascinating to me because here was this woman who began to lay out her heart and her dreams. And so she had had experience in education and background and consulting. And she had this heartfelt, deep dream to consult in the agricultural industry. And as I listened more and more to this conversation, I found out that she had, this is the first time she was sharing this dream with anyone. Her absolute first time. Her friend was shocked. She had never written it down. She hadn't told another soul. And so this friend, you could see how gently she was drawing this vision out of her heart. Because she knew, she saw that this was strange that she hadn't shared it with anyone. But what was even worse was there was every single statement of dreaming, of passion, of idea for, her, for this future consulting gig. She qualified with statements like, well, I'm probably not going to be very good at this. Or, you know what, I just don't think I have the connections to make this work. Or, you know what, I have experience in some of these areas, but I know this person is way better, and here would be my competition. Every single time she allowed her heart to breathe a little bit, allowed her soul to fly and dream, she qualified it and killed it with statements of worry. And so her friend, sitting there, as she saw how precarious this was, this dream that was like dangling over a cliff, at any moment ready to just fall and die forever, she ever so gently wooed her, encouraged her, canceled those lies of worry, canceled those imaginary things that would defeat her soul from taking flight and freedom. And at one point, this was the best for me, she leaned close to her and said, Who gave you permission anyway to listen to those voices? And it was like, this lady just had this realization. All these years, I've let worry consume me. So what if I fail? I need to pursue this dream. And it was this beautiful moment of seeing her overcome her worst anxieties. Well, I experienced this myself many, many, many times in life. One of my worst, I remember, was actually turned out to be one of my best. And during my first nine months of professional work after undergrad, I was stationed in Georgia and a little base, Air Force base, called Warner Robins. And I was shadowing an officer. I wasn't given any personal responsibility of my own for work yet, but I was just supposed to follow along and learn what to do. So as I'm following along day after day, making copies, sending emails, running around like an errand boy, and not really feeling any purpose in life, I began to worry. And I stewed over these thoughts, and I became distracted and then, it, and then my thoughts kind of developed to, I wonder if I just wasted these last four years of investment in undergrad. 
And actually, now I have a five-year commitment. I wonder if I've wasted nine years of my life. In fact, I went in thinking I had purpose to change some things about the military that I wasn't exactly excited about. And now I feel like I'm just contributing more to those same problems. I felt terrible. It was like the worst thing that could have happened to me. And so I stewed over it, and I stewed, and I stewed these nine months. And then I remember coming home from work one day and just falling on my face, literally crying, and screaming to the Lord, Lord, you say cry out to you in our time of need. I'm crying out to you because this sucks. This is terrible. I hate this life. And the Lord's word to me at that moment was, quit your crying, get up, and start pastoring the people in your workplace. And it was exactly what I needed. It was exactly what I needed. It wasn't exactly the easiest thing to hear, but my whole, everything that I was doing, my schedule, my job, my responsibilities, that wasn't the issue. That wasn't it at all. It all had to do with my thoughts and my worship life and the way I perceived what was going on around me in my environment. Now, it's funny because these things, these, this thought pattern, this life we have sometimes that leads to worry, there's something that Jesus has to speak about it. And he wants to speak the kingdom of God, his presence, his peace, what I would call freedom. And so he uses these two metaphors, and in between them he asks us this question. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, when we experience worry ourselves, we want to magnify it. The devil wants to magnify it, but we have to make the choice to accept that. And so we do. We magnify it in our minds. And like the separatists at the time in Jesus' day, they decided that the problems of the world were too big to be solved in the midst of community. So they went off by themselves. They separated themselves. They went to this mysterious and unusual place, these caves at Qumran, and they decided, you know what? We're going to live our lives the right way right here. We're going to separate ourselves and wait it out until Jesus fixes all these things. Their problems had become so magnified in their minds that they figured they just had to run from them and hide and wait it out till all things got better. Well, Jesus wants to give us a new perspective and minimize these, not maximize our worries. So he gives us these pictures, these images, like the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, which do their thing carefree, which grow, which have everything provided for them, the rain, the water, the soil, and they simply are. And I think one thing that Jesus is saying with this telling us that we can't add a single hour to our lives with worry, he's telling us that, would you consider the lilies because I care for you like I care for them. These things that you're worried about, I know they are real. I know you're not imagining all of it, but the problems have become magnified much bigger than you can handle. I didn't design you to carry that. I want to carry that load for you. Now, Matthew 6.32 says, For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So these things aren't evil in themselves, the things that cause us worry and concern. These things are usually natural. 
some of them essential to our lives. And we're all seekers. We all want to seek out this better way of life. We all want to seek out purpose in our lives. We want to make a dent in the world. And that's a good thing. You know, I have a friend that uses analogy all the time about how our character is formed. And he says that if you have loving family, parents, community, that represent the unconditional love of God surrounding you, and then you pour into that form the conditions, the law, morals, values, structure, rules, and you keep pouring it in, and you keep pouring it in, and you hold it together with the unconditional love of community, those things have long enough in this place of love to form, to harden to the point where your character is formed and you will live out these values the rest of your lives. And in fact, it's true. All kinds of research shows that when kids have both of these, the law and grace, where they have unconditional love and conditions on love, where they have this beautiful vision for a father who will never leave them or forsake them, in combination with the direction of a father that will guide them and protect them. They turn out pretty well. They mature faster. They have a lot more developmental assets. They can grow up much faster than other kids would that don't have these things. And yet, these rules, this structure, the status quo, these ways of life, all these things have an interesting way of getting attached to our egos so that they become almost part of us. And so when all of a sudden we're confronted like these disciples of Jesus were with this demand on our lives, oh no, it's not just all unconditional love anymore. But Jesus has this demand, seek my kingdom and my righteousness first and all these things will be added to you. Now we're confronted with a tough decision. Imagine this scenario. So I'm living in Jesus' time. And I want to, there's just, there's just something that's absolutely amazing and captivating and powerful about this Jesus. And I want to find out more of what it is. So I learned my trade as a carpenter from my father. And I've been just struggling over this decision. And I go to him and I say, Dad, Mom, I got to talk to you about this. I need to leave for a while. I need to leave home, leave the safety of our community, stop helping you provide. I can't work. Just, I'm just asking for a month. So, oh no, this is that Jesus again, isn't it? You're still following Jesus. Yeah. But let me just tell you, just listen to me, hear it out. All right, it's like our neighbors, the net makers, Herod and John, these brothers. I mean, they, they're doing the exact same thing day after day in their trade. And yet Herod exudes this life energy, this life force. I mean, I want to be around him. He, he gives joy. He exudes peace. He's fun. He's attractive. And yet John, it's just like a life sucker. I mean, I just feel like he's subtly, this negative energy kind of comes from him. And I guess what I'm trying to say, mom and dad, is I'm somewhere in between but I know I want to be closer to what Herod's doing, and I definitely want to be closer to what Jesus is doing. It's like Herod times a thousand. He's just this amazing, life-giving man. I got to find out more about what he's up to. I got to follow him. 
And so he follows him. And his parents reluctantly let him go. And he sacrifices provision. He sacrifices safety. He sacrifices all these things that our egos and what we were trained to do as we were brought up by rules. He sacrifices these things, taking a big risk, as all these disciples did. And after weeks and months, he gets to this place at the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus divides the crowd, those that are just curious, from those who are passionate. Those who really are interested in loving Jesus and taking a risk. And then he relates to them. He says, I know what you're feeling. These fears that you're feeling, because this provision, it's real. You gave it up. And I know you're worried about this right now. You're thinking about your homes and your family. You're thinking about security. You're worried about it. You're preoccupied with yourselves. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the opportunity to confront, maybe even discover your ego for the first time. How preoccupied are you going to continue to be with yourself, with your own thoughts? How big are you going to let your own problems be, magnified compared to other issues in the world? How much are you going to complain day after day about this food because you know that the food you're getting back home with mom and dad is much better? How much are you going to complain because you know you could be pursuing a better corporate job? How much are you going to worry at your current job, not needing a change at all, but because you just think that your reputation there isn't quite as good as it should be? And so Jesus takes these disciples and separates them and invites them to be confronted by their very egos that were developed in the place that was good, by standards, by law, by rules. And yet now they're having a hard time separating these things and letting them go. But Jesus has that higher pursuit for us. And he challenges us here in Matthew 6, 33, 34. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so today, as we think about seeking the kingdom first, maybe for you, it's bringing a simple righteous act into your workplace. Maybe for you, you need to confront that devil of anxiety that's kept you from dreaming big, from leaving your current job, from, from listening to those voices that say, no, you could never do that, and just going for it and trusting that even if you fail, the Lord's got you in his hands. Maybe for you, it's to forgive somebody. It's that one person who's asked for forgiveness and you've just written off because it burdened you and that worry became so big in your mind that you thought I could never be friends with this person again. Whatever it is, Jesus is inviting us to confront this worry so that we could receive the best gift that he has to offer, the fullness of his kingdom. And so as we enter this time of reflection and contemplation, I want to encourage us not to beat ourselves up. Yes, this is a demand on our lives and it will cost everything potentially, but it's also an invitation. 
It's an invitation to freedom and salvation. It's an invitation to a life free from worry. It's an invitation to have peace more than you ever had it before in your hearts. And joy that's unexplainable. And Christ gives this freely. This isn't something we're working for, but simply today, as we commit our hearts to the Lord in silent prayer, He has the amazing power to do this in us, to take that burden on His shoulders and give us a very light burden to follow Him and a very beautiful invitation and gift to live a life that's better than any other kind of life you can imagine.